Welcome to the Ohio District UPCI Podcast. The following message is titled, The God of Jacob, and was spoken by Victor Jackson at the Ohio District Senior High Camp. We hope and pray this message blesses your life. For more information about the Ohio District, visit us at ohiodistrict.com. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God even to Horeb and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush and he looked and behold the bush was burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Thy scripture, moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I want to preach to you on this subject tonight, the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. Why don't you lay your Bibles down? Everyone close your eyes and lift up your hands. And why don't you open up your mouth and ask God to do something in us. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We ask for the Holy Ghost to give us strength, Lord, to respond to your word and be changed by the renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands to the Lord. God, let your word go forth. Boy, oh boy. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Somebody shout yes. Yes. The God of Jacob. Jacob had a very unusual beginning. Uh... The Bible says that Rebecca was troubled because the children in her began to struggle within her womb. The kids were wrestling in the womb before they ever had consciousness. And the Bible says that there were two nations in her womb and there was an elder and a younger and Jacob and Esau are in the womb and in the womb before consciousness comes into play, there's already conflict. This would 
paint the picture. This would be the precursor of what the rest of their lives would look like. Conflict, struggle, adversity. And the Bible says that Esau was born first, but while he's coming out of the womb, Jacob, out of the womb, reaches up to grab his brother's heel. And he wanted the birthright before he was born. Unconsciously, he had a tendency to do the wrong thing. Before consciousness even kicked in, unconsciously, he had a tendency to want something that wasn't for him. He had a tendency that he could not control. He had a tendency that he didn't like that he had it, but he had it. And the Bible says that they were born, and when they were born, they both rose up and Jacob was a plain man, a man of the tents and Esau, he was a man of the field. He was a hunter and, and Jacob was raised in a dysfunctional family. Uh, why would you say that, Brother Jackson? Because the Bible says that Rebekah loved Jacob, but Isaac loved Esau. The parents had favorites dysfunctional some people saying well it's common in my home well that's dysfunctional boy I feel like preaching he's raised in a dysfunctional home he wants his brother's birthright and the Bible says that Esau came for that same red pottage meaning that this wasn't the first time he hungered for that pottage he came continually for the same pottage and he was so hungry for that red pottage that the bible says therefore his name was called Edom which means red he was defined by what he pursued. What he pursued, he became. And his descendants are not called the Esauites. They're called the Edomites. Because the rest of his lineage would be defined by one man's pursuit after carnal things. Esau reached for pottage, he became Edom. Jacob reached for the angel, he became Israel. We are both defined by what we pursue. And he came for that same pottage and Jacob had been watching him closely, trying to figure out when's the moment to take advantage of him. Ooh, he likes pottage. Hey, I'll give you this bowl of beans if you give me your birthright. And Esau 
did not despise his birthright when he made the sale. Oh, man, I feel like preaching right now. I'm in, I'm in trouble out here. I'm in trouble. Uh, Esau did not despise his birthright when he made the transaction. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. He didn't despise it while he was eating it. He didn't despise it while he was drinking. He didn't despise it when he got up from the table. But he finally despised it when he went his own way. It was as if God was willing to give him a space of repentance. Even while the beans were in his teeth. Even while he was swallowing. Even while he was doing wrong. It was as if God was willing to give him an opportunity to do the right thing. Because it's never too late to do the right thing. But when... It's never too late to do the right thing. But it's when Esau decided to go his own way. That's when God said, I give up. He despised it. I gave him an opportunity in the midst of him being at the table to put the bowl down and say, I repent. I'm not doing this. But when he got up from the table and he stoically and rebelliously went in his own direction, Direction, God said, I give up. He despised it. Can I tell you, you may have lived the wrong life, but it's never too late to get back on the right track. It's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late for repentance to overcome. He, he despised it. When he went his own way and, and he went his own way and Jacob hears that Isaac is going to bless Esau. And so Rebecca and him come up with the plan, put on some goat's hair because Esau's hairy. Change your voice. Put some goat's hair on you. Wear Esau's clothes. Clothes. And Isaac will bless you. It's interesting because Jacob... He had goat's hair and used goat's hair. But a generation later, his sons would fool him with goat's blood. What one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. He just skinned the goat. He didn't kill it. 
his son saw his example. And they killed the goat and put goat's blood on Joseph's coat to fool Jacob later. What do you do in moderation? That teen camp coming after you is going to do in excess. You are an example. Your little brothers are watching what you're doing. Your little sisters are watching what you're doing. And you got to make up your mind. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. This is what I'm not going to do. And this is what I will do. Because there's a generation depending on what I'm doing. And... That's one of the things that throws us off a little bit because our culture doesn't like saying that you have responsibility until you're like 25. You know how high my car insurance was? Until I turned 26? Because they say they can't trust me with a vehicle. Are you hearing me? Until he turns 26. With women, they have cheaper car insurance because they believe they're safer drivers. Oh, I didn't mean to cause a riot here. Hallelujah. And, 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 and they, they have lower car insurance at a younger age than men. And so the culture tries to say that young men aren't responsible. And we begin to fall into that and we say, I'm just a teenager. I'm just a teenager. I've never seen the word teenager in the Bible. Boy, I'm in trouble already. Uh, A teenager didn't reach popularity to like the late 1800s. Teenager is something of of just not even maybe a hundred years ago. But the teenager, what we've used it as. In the Bible, Paul said, when I was a child, I speak as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Can I tell you, it's child to man. There is no in-between of teenager. There is no in-between. You are now capable of handling responsibility. It's child to man, but we have this space, this teenager space that we use as an excuse. Oh, I didn't know. I'm 19, I'm 18, I didn't know. We use that teenager as an excuse to run from responsibility. Right? But it's child to man. I'm helping people already. And so, Jacob fools his dad. And he gets the blessing on his life. Esau comes in later and says, Father, bless me. And 
Look what Isaac says. Now, this is a whole sermon in itself. Isaac says, your brother came in by craft and stole your blessing. Look what Isaac says. And he shall be blessed. That's a message in itself. I know he stole it, but he still got it. Because you want me to curse him because of one failure. But he failed, but he was hungry, so he deserved it more than you did. Boy, I feel the gift of revelation in this place. <laughs> Ooh, help me, Holy Ghost. He says, like, hold on, that ain't fair. He dressed up like me. I, I know, but you don't, you didn't want the birthright as bad as you saying you wanted it. give your birthright with somebody with mistakes and stumbling blocks and know that they'll use it for the right things than to give it to somebody that feels entitled and they deserve it and will sit on it. You, 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 Wave a hand if I'm helping somebody out there. I'm just, it's a little different tonight. I'm flown in the gift of revelation. Just hold on, hold on for a second. And we like to define people by slip-ups and one-time failures and we all mock the disciples because in Matthew 17, 21, they tried to cast the devil out. And the Bible says that they couldn't. And Jesus, it looks like Jesus rebukes them by saying, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. And I love to condemn those disciples until I read Matthew 9. Whoo, boy, that word is so good. Let me just munch on it with you for a second. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. I'd have a problem with the disciples' failure, uh, failure until I read Matthew 9. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them and then shall they fast. He said, they are commanded not to fast until I ascend back into heaven. He commanded them not to fast. Yet, 
Whenever this demon comes and they can't cast out, he says, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Disciples look at him like, What God was saying was, I allowed the failure in your life to teach you on how to behave in your future when I'm gone. There's going to come a time when I'm not going to be with you on the day of Pentecost. But if you interact with any type of demon like this, you got to go prayer and fasting. That's how you cast out the unbelief. Come on, somebody. But I allowed you to fail to teach you how to operate effectively in your tomorrow. What God was saying was, I expected you to fail. So I'm using your failure as a teaching moment on how to be successful. My Lord. Because here they cast out devils without fasting. They were sent out two by two, casting out devils and unclean spirits without fasting. But God put a moment on the calendar. Where he knew they would struggle in that moment. And he would use it as a teaching moment in their lives. Because he factored their failure into their future. And before they ever took their first breath, he already had that moment on the calendar. Before I formed you in the belly... I knew you. In other words, I knew your failures. I knew your inadequacies. I knew your stumbling blocks. But I still chose you and ordained you for this moment. I wish the moment clapped their hands right now. Boy, I feel the gift. And Jacob, he takes the blessing and now his brother wants to kill him. I told you it was a dysfunctional family. <laughs> Man, there's some self-denial in this place. <laughs> no, no, not me, Brother Jackson. Brother wants to kill him. He has to run away for several years, God blesses everything that Jacob touches. Laban is blessed because Jacob is there. Jacob understands that now it's time for him to go back home. And then he knows he has to encounter Esau on the journey home. So he sends forth his flock and his family on the other side of the Fort Jabbok. And he made sure he stayed there on that side. 
because he wanted to get alone with God. While he's alone with God, knowing that God is the only one that could help him. All of a sudden, an angel comes and they begin to wrestle in the midnight hour. As they are wrestling, that angel touches his, his thigh, touches his hip, and, and now it begins to shrivel up. And uh, Jacob is beginning to cling to that supernatural host. And as he is clinging, that angel says, turn me loose for the day breaks. And Jacob said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And that angel said, hold on, what's your name? He said, it's Jacob, which means liar, supplanter, usurper, heel grabber. And that angel said, no more shall your name be called Jacob, but it's going to be Israel because as a prince you prevailed with man and with God. And it was in that one prayer meeting that Jacob got a name change and he became Israel. It was in that one altar call that something changed in his persona and something changed in his spirit forever where he would always be known as Israel. They would call them the Israelites forever. We know them as the nation of Israel even now. We looked all throughout the New Testament. It's Israel. Israel, that chosen nation of Israel. But there comes a time when God wants to speak out of a burning bush and he knows that Moses is dealing with problems. He knows that Moses is dealing with with insecurities. So God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Notice that he doesn't say he's the God of Abram. He calls himself the God of Abraham, the ideal Abraham. God didn't claim Abram. He claimed the ideal state of Abraham. But he didn't say I'm the God of Abram. Yet he says I'm the God of Jacob. What God was saying was, I, I, I know you like talking about the finished product of Jacob. You want me to be the God of Israel alone. But he said, I am still the God of Jacob. I am the God of his struggle. I am the God of his imperfection. I am the God of his stumbling blocks. And I was his God then and I am still his God now. He said, you just want me to be the God of his finished process, but I'm the God when he was struggling. I'm the God when he was weeping. I was his God when he was battling, and I will not despise his process. I was his God then. He 
said, you will never appreciate me being the God of Israel until you first remember that I am the God of Jacob. And you cannot appreciate the beauty that I've done in him until you see the ashes of what I brought him through. And I am still his God. And I was his God then. He said, you want to disqualify him, but I'm proud to be his God. He said, what I like about Jacob is that even though he struggled, even though he had stumbling blocks, even though he had mistakes, what I loved about him is that he still pursued me. And that is what I love about that boy because all of his failures and all of his mistakes did not keep him from reaching and pursuing I wish somebody would clap their hands and thank God for the God of Jacob oh I wish somebody would lift up their voice and thank God for the God of Jacob oh my Lord, I know, I know you, you, you wanted to have some type of wrestling match in this altar with God. So finally make God be your God forever. I feel like preaching right now. You wanted a wrestling match with God. And you said, maybe if I finally become perfect and I finally become Israel, maybe God will finally be my God. But God said, I was your God before you ever prayed. I was your God before you ever wrestled. I was your God before you ever did anything for me. I am your God and I want I was your God before camp. You don't think I'm gonna be your God during camp. I will be your God after camp. Maybe, maybe if I pray enough, Brother Jackson, maybe God will love me more. I feel like preaching right now. Maybe if I clap a little louder, maybe he, I can get his attention. Maybe, maybe if I worship a little bit deeper, maybe he can be my God. But God said, even in the midst of your mess, even in the midst of your battles, I don't want you to ever despise that I am still your God and I will be your God I am the same yesterday today and forever and if I was with you then I'm going to be with you now and if I'm with you now I'll be with you tomorrow I am still I'm still the God of Jacob you say, Brother Jackson, I, I, I'm wrestling. Before I do something for God, I, I got I to gotta get my flesh completely under subjection. I feel like preaching in this place. God came in the flesh. The creator came in a creature. The maker came in a manger. He 
who nurtured us was now willing to be nurtured by us. God came in the flesh for one reason, and that was to die for our sins. But we see the fullness of God in flesh in the garden. And the Bible says that God struggled with his flesh. I said the fullness of God wrestled with his flesh. He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The fullness of God had to pray three times to get his flesh under subjection. Listen, and you don't, you, he had the spirit without measure. All of God was in him, but you have the spirit with measure. The Bible calls the Holy Ghost the earnest of our inheritance. You just have a down payment of what's to come. And here you are looking at yourself in the mirror after you wrestle with your flesh two times. You want to give up on your calling and you want to give up on your destiny because you're still wrestling with the same situation. If it took the fullness of God to pray three times, how much more grace would God give us? You've been, you've been dealing with the same situation three times, and here you are afraid to accept the calling at camp because you know there's a situation waiting on you at home that you're going to slip up in that you're afraid of. And you say, I must not have a call. I must not have a destiny because I haven't fully conquered my flesh. And here you are. You Here you are battling. And you say, since I'm still battling with the flesh, I got to wait till I get complete dominion over my body before I ever preach the gospel, before I ever sing, before I ever teach a Bible study. Can I tell you, if you're waiting for that moment, it'll never come. But if you'll get the process started, if you'll get the journey started, there will be deliverance on the journey. his God. The calling is like being on the top of a mountain. The call being on the top of a mountain. And here you are at the bottom of the mountain. Haven't started the journey yet. And you have all of this baggage around you. And it's tied to you. And you look up at the calling every camp but when you get home Friday night and Saturday, you put your eyes back to the baggage. 
and you say, I got to get rid of the baggage before I start the journey. You said that three camps ago. Hear me, hear me. And the baggage is still there. Watch it, watch it now. But what God uses a calling for is to persuade you to climb. God in heaven. And as you begin to climb towards the call, with all of your baggage. There comes a moment in the climb where you say, if I'm going to take another step, I'm going to have to start letting some of this baggage go. (laughs) But you say you have a call and you start trying to climb, but you're looking at the baggage the whole time. So you don't have any strength for the journey. I feel like I'm ministering to somebody. And so you start climbing again after you let some of the baggage off. Hey, you start climbing some more. Then you reach another state in that climb where if you're going to take another step, you're going to have to cut some of this baggage off. And over and over on that journey, more baggage falls. And when you look back, after you start operating in your calling, you're going to see how far you've come. It is the call that sanctifies you in your pursuit of the call. Because there would be no reason to let the baggage go if there wasn't something calling you higher. If you're not hearing the call, you just dwell among the baggage and content to live among the baggage. But when you hear the voice of God telling you to come up a little higher, all of a sudden, with all of the weight, you come up there is somebody that is hungering for a call and a destiny from God. I need somebody to clap their hands in this building. I wish you understood the dysfunctional state I was in when God called me. I was messed up. I'm like, why would he call me with all of my baggage? With all of my abuse in my life, with all of my neglect, my rejection, why in the world would God choose me? And if I kept thinking on that, I would never make the journey. But I kept getting a glimpse of the call, and I couldn't escape it. I couldn't run from it. And it began to pull me to start cutting things off. 
If I never took a step, I'd still be laying there in the baggage feeling hopeless and condemned and feeling guilt. But when I started the journey, it began to perfect me, made me start talking different. People started saying, man, man, you sure you're not called to preach? Like, I don't know, man. I'm just, just walking towards my call. And people began to notice something about, hold on, man, what's going on with Victor? He, he, ain't, he, ain't, he ain't doing stuff that he used to do. You know what I looked like when I, God called me? Boy, I'm about to mess somebody up in this place. I might lose the whole altar call when I tell you this. I had a goatee. Man, I'm in trouble. I had the goatee. I had the mustache. I had diamond earrings in my ear. I had a Jesus peace medallion. Diamonds in the crown of thorns. You're not hearing me right now. Uh, and, And God called that. Mama Lobo Shata. And all of a sudden, when I got the call with all that jewelry on, I started to climb. And as I started to climb, all of a sudden, I don't know why, but I don't feel to wear these earrings. As I started to climb, I don't think I need this Jesus Peace medallion anymore. As I started the climb, you're not hearing me. You just need to start the journey, and the journey will sanctify you. I wish somebody would clap and thank God for the journey. And I didn't know, and I was still playing college basketball. Are you hearing me? Hold on, I got a call, and I'm still playing college basketball. How's that going to work out, God? You know how you try to work it out in your mind? Oh, my Lord. You started trying to work it out in your mind. Okay, God, if you're calling me, whenever I'm done with my basketball career in 20 years, I look forward to it. But I'm saying that I have that in my mind, but I keep climbing. And all of a sudden, the call said, if you're going to take another step, you're going to have to let go of that college basketball. Nobody else told me But if I wanted to come up a little higher, I had to let go of some baggage. Here it is. I said all that to preach this. This is where you are, and this is where I've come to minister to you. I said all that to say this, Hebrews 12 and 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about 
with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Keep that scripture up there, verse 1. He said, lay aside every weight. I'm about to give you a word of deliverance right now. What Paul was alluding to, everybody needs to hear me. What Paul was alluding to, he was alluding to a Roman race and a Greek race in the Olympics. And these runners would train for the Olympics, listen, by holding three-pound weights in each hand. It was weights of preparation. I feel like ministering to somebody. And Paul said, those runners, they would have those three-pound weights almost like dumbbells. And they would run before the Olympics race and train and train and train and train, getting ready for the race. They had tried to prepare themselves so well for the journey. Paul said, there is a danger in over-preparing. He said, it's time to lay the weights down. You're ready. Enter the race. Aristotle called overtraining evil to keep on training. Hold on. I got to go to another youth camp before I teach a Bible study. Hold on. I got to go to 200 more services next year before I really get convinced to reach people. And here you are. You've been ready for three years to do something. But you keep carrying these weights around, saying, I got, I'm going to get my prayer life perfect first. Man, I'm ministering right now. I, I'm going to get my prayer life perfect. I'm, I'm going to get my family life perfect. I'm going to get it perfect before I ever do something. Can I tell you, perfectionism is the enemy of obedience. Because you want to do it perfect, you never start the journey. And you keep on delaying the call. <laughs> he said, put the weights down. You go to 200 church services a year and you still don't feel you're ready? He said, lay aside every weight. Look, he said, let us run with patience the race. That in other words, patience means there's going to be some times that you stumble. 
But it's better to stumble in the will of God than to stumble outside the will of God. I'm ministering to people right now. I'm ministering to people. It's better to stumble in the will of God than be perfect out of the will of God. Come on, somebody. You may slip up. You may not teach the Bible study like you want to, but at least you're trying because you are in this race. You know how many, I probably taught a hundred Bible studies before I finally felt like I got one right. I got video of my first Bible study I ever taught. I got it shackled in my room somewhere. On lockdown, secret combination code. Got two angels guarding it. (laughs) With a flaming sword. (laughs) You know what my first Bible study looked like? You know what I did? All I did was print out 15 handouts. And you know what I did? I just took turns reading what was on the handout. And I was like, no, 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 you, you know, everybody, uh, no, 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 um, you know, God is, uh, God, God is actually uh, here um, right now. And And there was like there was like five church people that came and support me, and they were like, "Bless them, Lord, bless them, Lord." It's like no, 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 no. What this really says is um, that the love of God is. We need that, right? We. Need- And I had a couple friends around me acting like that was the greatest Bible study they ever heard. They're like, yes. I'm like. And after reading this handout, little small handout Bible study, gospel easy as one, two, three. When I was done, one of the things were, did you get, you know, have you been baptized? So I'd end the Bible study after we all took turns reading it together. I'd say, have you guys been baptized? And we all reading it together. They're like, no, I haven't. Well, what we read together says that we should do that. <laughs> and look, they were like, good point. I need to be baptized today. And you know what happened? <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I failed multiple times in that Bible study. But you know what God wasn't saying? God wasn't saying, man, I wish he was perfect. What God was saying was, I'm proud of that boy. I'm proud of that boy for trying 
for still doing it despite his insecurities, despite the fear, despite the worry. He still tried. And it was effective. Come on, somebody. The world isn't looking for perfection. The world is looking for somebody that is an example of faithfulness that keeps getting back up and keeps on running in the race. That's how, that's how most of my Bible studies were. I was still playing college basketball. God's like, I'm working with him. I'm working with him. I'm working with him. I'm working with him. And he just keeps working on me. He just keeps working on me. Just keeps keep working on me. And then, then, then I didn't teach a Bible study right. You know, someone wanted to debate, and I, and I debated him back. And he never came back to the Bible study. So God's like, hey, listen here. Let me come talk to you for a little bit. That didn't work. But now you know what not to do. And I'm like, now get back in the race and let's go back in there. And I learned how to teach Bible studies, not by my first one teaching it, but on continually trying to teach one. That's how I learned. Man, I'm helping people right now. Don't try to get your voice perfect before you join the youth choir. Look, they tried to see if I had a gift for the youth choir. He said, hey, why don't you come up and sing for the youth choir? I found out that I can't sing. But I never would have known if I didn't try. Come on, somebody. I'm saying get on the journey and try. Try to reach your school. Try to reach your community. Try to reach your family. Try to reach and let's see what happens. What am I saying? Just lay the weights down. You've been, you've been, you've been carried everywhere. You got it in your back. You got that weight in your back, your backpack at school. And you're saying, uh, I got to prepare more before I start sharing my faith. And all the while, there's people around you that are slipping into eternity. And while you're waiting to get ready, they're waiting on somebody to tell them how to be saved. You know what? I got to tell you this. Am I helping? Wave a hand if I'm helping. I'm about to wrap this up. I'm about to wrap this up. But I'm full of word. I'm ministering to people. Some of the first people that I got connected to at the church were some of the most carnal young people you'll ever meet. I'm being serious. And they were, they were, they were carnal. 
but they'd invite me over. We'd, we'd all play games. We'd have a, a good time together playing games. We'd go to youth services together. But you know what? God, God used them to help get me plugged into the church. Listen, these are people that weren't trying to do right. And God used them I'm trying to tell this. God used them to help me get connected to the church. And as I got connected to the church and got in more altar calls and stuff, I started realizing, hold on. My friends are carnal. And I know God used them to get me connected But if I stay connected, if I want to stay connected to the church, I'm going to have to disconnect. So if God, what I'm trying to tell you is, my Lord, I feel like there's just so much revelation in this house. Well, what I'm trying to tell you right now is that God loved you enough to die for you, knowing everything about you. He saw your worst state, listen, and he died for you, okay? So you think God's going to slap you upside the head for lingering in the altar wanting to do his will. He saw your worst state and he went to the cross for it. You think he's going to push you away where you're at camp trying to live right? Because there's been condemnation in this place that has been choking the moves of God in this house. You're saying, because I struggle, I'm not worthy. I heard so many spirits last night, so many human spirits saying, God, God, I thank you for the oil, but I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I, you can't use me, but I just thank you for the oil. Guilt and condemnation because you don't believe that God is the God of your struggle. And that's what the Holy Ghost is, a comforter. The Greek word is paraclete, meaning God comes alongside you and helps. God enters into your struggle. He enters. God enters. He comes down and he links up. Go ahead. Come on. And he says... I know you don't feel worthy, but I'm a comforter, and I come alongside, and we come up the mountain together. And I'm your comforter 
when you're standing. Go ahead and get down. Go ahead and get down. I get down with you. You think I'm just going to stand up and let you fall? No, I come in right where you are. I'm your comforter. I'm your comforter. You think I'm going to give up on you? No, I come down with you, and I come and come, and I pick you back up. Let's get back on the journey. Let's get back on the, I feel like talking to somebody right now. He is still your comforter. He is still your God. It is time to enter the race. Ha, mama. I want you to lift up both hands where you are right now. It's time for you to finally accept the call. It's time for you to finally enter the race. He is still your God. He is still your God in all of your dilemmas, in all of your imperfection, in all of your hazards. He is still your God. It's time for you to lift up your hands and you tell the Lord, I'll do whatever you want to do. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Because I'll know you will perfect me in the process. I know you will sanctify me in the process. I know you will strengthen me in the process. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, praise God. I want you to lay your hands on the person next to you. And I want you to tell them it's time to enter the race. It's time to start the journey. It's time to put the weights down of preparation. It's time. The time is now. The time is now. The time is now. Enter. for a second. I want brother and sister Akers to come up here. I want Louisa, my wife, I want you to come up here. 
I'm gonna show you real life examples of people that may have struggled but we still pursued. Brother Akers talked about it. You know what he said? He said, we had such a burden in our hearts. We didn't feel like we had it all together. But the hunger for souls to see them save, somebody had to do something. And he stepped out in the middle. They both stepped out together. And you know what? There's a lot of people in that city that would have never seen God if he never took the journey. If they would have waited for the perfect time they have a beautiful baby boy. They could have said, no, it's, it's hectic right now. We got to wait till he gets five. We got to wait till, but in the midst of it, it said somebody's got to start the journey. Yes. And he's been with them in that process. And you know what? There's going to come a day where that church is going to become Israel. It's going to be an ideal state that so many young ministers are going to want. And all they're going to see is that he was the God of Israel. But you're going to know that he was the God of Jacob. (laughs) These are real people. We're not perfect. Brother Court Chavis, he knew he had a burden in his heart to plant a church. He had been evangelizing, successful evangelists, God using them all across the globe, blessed our movement. But he stepped out of his comfort zone. He could have still been on the field busy. But there was a burden in his heart to plant a church. And he'd never planted a church before. But he started the journey. And it's in that process of him starting the journey, God taught him how to plant a successful church. And everybody on the outside and looks at his church and says, that's Israel. That's Israel. That's Israel. That's, that's Israel. That's the ideal state. But you weren't there with him when he was looking for land. You weren't there with them when he was sacrificing. You weren't there with him when he had to battle different things, battle different misunderstandings. But everybody else looks and says, that's Israel. That's Israel. But Korchavis says, you don't understand. He's the God of Jacob. He's still the God of Jacob. Oh, oh. Me and my wife, we stepped out on the evangelistic field. She was 20, I was 22. We never evangelized before. But we stepped out. We had one thing on our calendar, and it was in Canada. We went to go preach in Canada and came back. 
nobody called my phone for a week. We were praying and fasting. I gave up my job, gave up everything. We're newly married, just a month or two married. And we're like, I thought we heard from God. And no doors are opening. The second week passes, nobody called us. I said, baby, I thought I heard from God. And I start looking at myself. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I'm not perfect enough. Maybe I should have waited until I became just this perfect minister before I stepped out. The third week passed. Nobody called. And I just kept fasting and praying. And finally, it was a Friday. I said, God, it had been almost four weeks hadn't preached. I said, God, it's Friday. If I don't preach anywhere this Sunday, Lord, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to go back to work on Monday because I'm required as a husband to support my family. Lord, I stepped out on faith. I started the journey, but I don't feel like you've been there with me. And I don't mind going back to my home church teaching Bible studies sitting on the front row. I just don't believe that's your will for me. But if you don't open a door this Sunday, I'm going back to work Monday. Friday, Friday at midnight, I got a message saying, hey, I know it's last minute. Can you preach for me this Sunday? I preached that Sunday. That Monday, I had two different calls from two different pastors. In seven years, I've maybe had two open Sundays in seven years. But God wanted to test me. Could I still pursue him? Well, you don't feel like you don't see the results or the evidence of your pursuit. You know what my wife did? My wife, she had a nursing degree. She had a nursing degree. And she got it right before we got married. And she had plans to be a nurse. But she felt the call to get on the field. We'd both never tried to evangelize before in our life. But we each sacrificed some things. Let some baggage go. And the call has begun to sanctify us both. You're looking at people that started the journey. And I'm still on the journey. I still see the call. And I'm not where I want to be. I'm not even close to where I want to be. There's still some baggage that God has to let out of me. I'm still growing. I have so much to learn. All of us are there. But that's what makes us what we are. We're all on a journey. And God 
has come alongside us to strengthen us where we lack. And that concludes this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. And for those of you on iTunes, leave us a good rating. Thank you for listening to the Ohio District Podcast.